0: Okay, welcome to TWIST, this week in sustainability. I have my co-host Jamie Ferguson with me from Emory and Henry College, and my name is Felicia Etzcorn from Virginia Tech, and we're a couple of chemists. We, we talk about sustainability, and we try to do it from a chemistry point of view because we think it's important to help people understand things from that perspective to inform their decision-making about consumer products and the more you understand about the chemistry of stuff all the compute consumer stuff the more you can do with it and make good decisions got anything to add
1: i would agree with that and um also it just gets you more excited about what you choose to consume in every corner of your life. Um, cause, cause you can put more thought into it.
0: Sure. So today we'd like to talk about vitamins to sustain our health. And so this is not exactly sustainability about chemistry, but this is about sustaining our health. And there are, um, instances where the vitamin industry synthesizes vitamins. Uh, Sometimes it's from natural resources, natural renewable feedstocks, and sometimes it's from petroleum. But the end product is exactly the same. The, The chemical is exactly the same, whether it's from renewable feedstocks or petroleum feedstocks. Okay. So Felicia, we're going to talk about vitamins. Yeah. So
1: what defines a vitamin? Like, you know, the health food, the supplement store, it's called a vitamins and supplements um, or vitamins and minerals. Like what defines a vitamin? What
0: kind of elevates a chemical to be, you know? So vitamins are... Cofactors for enzymes. And that's, they're small molecules that kind of look like drugs, actually. Drugs are small, most of them are small molecules. And so vitamins are specific chemicals, small molecules that bind to the enzymes in our body and help them, help those enzymes catalyze the chemical reactions that power life. So they're they're cofactors and sometimes they're precursors to those cofactors because our bodies activate them. Um, But that's that's my best definition of a vitamin. It's a cofactor for an enzyme. So it can be metal or organic? Well, the, the minerals are not vitamins, they're minerals. So it's vitamins and minerals, right? So essential minerals are things like copper and zinc, iron. We all know about low, low iron and being anemic. Um, they, they also bind to enzymes, but they're... they're- I'm, I'm
1: wondering if all vitamins are organic compounds? Um, yeah,
0: I, th- I think I would say that. Okay. Although, okay, vitamin B12 has cobalt in it. And so but it's a, a particular big old organic structure with cobalt bound to it. So it's kind of an exception. Um, and they're
1: all cofactors for proteins for enzymes specifically
0: Mm mm-hmm
1: okay
0: yeah see i don't
1: think i actually knew that
0: well actually okay we're going to take that back again because the two vitamins that i wanted to talk about today are vitamin c and vitamin d and vitamin d is not a cofactor for an enzyme it binds to the vitamin d receptor and well okay so it so it's a it's a
1: it's a ligand to a protein yeah so could that that so are vitamins all probably organic essential ligands to essential proteins
0: so vitamin c is an antioxidant and so in this vitamin e and vitamin e vitamin C has multiple roles in our physiology. So it can just act as an antioxidant sort of generally. Mm -hmm. Um, But it can also, it's the precursor for synthesizing the amino acid proline, which is essential for collagen, the synthesis of collagen that makes up all our, our skin and our our cartilage and our bones. So skin and
1: cartilage and bones, just hopping in there are, they feel really different. They all do feel different.
0: So we could do a whole thing on, I could talk about collagen for a whole hour. So um, the main difference between, there are different sequences for collagen, but the main difference between say bones and softer collagen materials like cartilage and skin is that bones are mineralized with calcium and that's going to come into talking about vitamin d um, because vitamin d is important for mineralizing bones and the mineral that goes into bones is calcium phosphate so Mm -hmm. that's important so I wanted to sort of give an, an over, overview of vitamins in general. Um, and we're just going to talk about A, B, C, D, E, K. Those are the, I mean, just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about minerals in depth today. Um, so the fat soluble vitamins are vitamin A, vitamin D, in particular, D3 for vertebrate animals, vitamin E, and vitamin K. Now, what does that mean? Fat soluble. That means they're they're greasy molecules, um, and they they don't have a lot of what we've been talking about, like polar functional groups, like alcohols. This is something that they could probably. Throw
1: in lotion and sell it for more because it is going to be missable. With oh, they do that. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's why you might maybe associate
0: these vitamins with you know your lotions. Sure, sure. And it also is important to understand about fat-soluble vitamins because they're the ones you can overdose on because they will get dissolved in your fat cells, and stay there. And then you can build up too much, you store too much of it. And your body can't handle the side effects. So I'll go into the side effects of overdosing on vitamin D, in particular today. But I've also, you know, heard of overdosing on vitamin A. And there's some thought that supplementing vitamin E is harmful because it's fat soluble. So you have to be more careful with the fat soluble vitamins about taking, you know, getting enough of them in your diet. And that's probably preferable because your diet uh, is sort of a natural regulator of how much you take. You you can't eat it. Well, I have heard of People eating too many carrots, like juicing carrots and drinking mm-hmm. carrot juice all the time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you can overdose on vitamin A that way. So there's deficiencies and there's overdosing. And vitamin, fat-soluble vitamins have a, a a window of opportunity between too little and too much. So then there's water-soluble vitamins, and the main ones are the all the B vitamins. And vitamin C. And you don't have to worry about taking too much of those because your body just excretes it. You piss them piss out. Piss them out. Yep. Yeah. So you can waste money and you can waste resources for Are, by taking too much. Can any of them do any damage like to the kidneys on their way out? Are they, they're not? Not, not that I've found today. Not, not that I know of. Um, <laughs> I'll be careful there, um, but yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty safe in terms mm-hmm. of you can you can just take them as supplements. The only thing about the B vitamins is that they work together in concert, so they they all bind to different proteins in the body and different um, have different roles to play. But the B vitamins work together in, in sort of a biosynthesis cascade. And so you can build up too much of, of an intermediate in that biochemical pathway. If you have too much of one B vitamin and not enough of another, or you just don't, you don't have a good balance. And so if you're, if you're going to take B vitamins, they should be taken all together.
1: I think people probably have heard more about B12. Can you kind of
0: remind me why B12 is? I haven't looked into the B vitamins that much. And I I've, but I've got a ton to say about vitamin D. Okay, let's make it to vitamin D. So, so just in terms of general vitamins, eat a variety of food, different colored vegetables, orange and green are good. Um, vitamin A you get from carrots and sweet potatoes and pumpkin, but not your pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The B vitamins you get from a variety of food sources, especially whole, whole grains, whole wheat, Um, The wheat germ has a lot of B vitamins in it. You can destroy them with heat. So you have to be careful not to burn things. Um, B12 is a problem for vegetarians because it's mostly found in meat. And in, but you can get it from yeast. So B12, that's why you maybe have heard more about B12 is, is it's a problem for veg, especially vegan diets? Uh huh.
1: And it seems like it's some. Um, it's it it's either in immune boosting things or energy boosting. Like, get a B twelve shot. You know, like yeah. I think that's you feel great or something like I think that. That's mostly
0: because you're anemic if you if you don't have enough B twelve. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I and I guess these are all
1: nitrogenous organic compounds i guess they're
0: amino acid derived or something they all yeah they're polar they're they're heterocycles most of them and that means they have more nitrogen and oxygen whereas the fat soluble vitamins have more carbon and hydrogen and so Mm -hmm. they that makes them more water soluble Um, I think most people know vitamin C is found in citrus and, but in a lot of different fruits, kiwi, apples, even potatoes, uh, leafy greens, a lot of things have vitamin C, but you got to eat your vegetables and your fruit to get it. Vitamin D is kind of special from the point of view of getting it from your directly from your diet. The only way that we really can get vitamin D is from fish. And those fish actually have to be wild caught fish, not farmed apparently. And I think this is because wild caught fish eat um, other fish that eat, other fish that eat plankton ultimately. And plankton makes vitamin D using sunshine. So we're going to get into this. Um, We can make vitamin D ourselves if we have enough fat in our diet. Actually, it's a pre-cholesterol molecule. Um, Yeah, it looks like it. Pre-cholesterol molecule. And then you need sunshine for one particular catalytic step. So I'll get into that. Vitamin E... It's found in whole wheat, sunflower oil, almonds, and hazelnuts, and leafy greens. You probably get enough in a standard diet. Um, notice that if you're not eating any whole wheat bread or getting whole grains, if you're only eating white bread, you probably have some vitamin deficiencies. Vitamin K is found in the cabbage family, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, c- cabbage. Um, cauliflower, I think. So today I want to talk about vitamin D. Um, Vitamin D was discovered because, especially in kids, they would get rickets. And this is severe osteoporosis, where you're just not getting your calcium phosphate into your bones. And that's the main function of vitamin D. But there are others. And we'll will come to, the reason I've been so interested in vitamin D is because, well, for example, the president was given vitamin D in in the treatment regime for um, COVID-19. And um, a lot of doctors are prescribing vitamin D both as a prevention and as a, you know, treatment for COVID-19. It's one of those things where there's not much
1: of a downside to saying pe- to right. people, right, right. You know, its safety profile is known, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I I really dug deep into that, so I'm going to go into the safety profile and the and the numbers on this. Um, so, vitamin D3 is is a starts out in our bodies as seven dehydrocholesterol. So, it means that there's a hydrogen missing at the seven position um, from the difference between cholesterol and seven dehydro, okay? And so, it's a steroid hormone that looks, it's very similar to cholesterol, which has three rings, all fused, four rings all fused together. Three of them are six-membered, and one's a five-membered ring. And then it has a long, greasy tail on it, and it has one alcohol group. But the key part of it is two double bonds. And those two double bonds, I'm, I'm going to give an aside here for the, the hardcore chemists, the hardcore organic chemists. Um, when you convert 70 dehydrocholesterol into pre-vitamin D3, it opens up the middle six-membered ring and this is this is what's known in in chemistry as a conrotatory electrocyclic ring opening okay so this is this is a rearrangement where the ring opens yeah yeah opens and um the double bonds rearrange and so that Basically, you end up with three double bonds in pre-vitamin D3. Oh, and that that's the key reaction. That is catalyzed by UVB radiation, which is 290 to 315 nanometers is the optimum for vitamin D3 synthesis. And it's mostly absorbed by the ozone layer. So we don't get a lot. Um, and I'll talk more hmm. about the the UV light and how much we can make, how much vitamin D we can make and how that happens. But then there's another one more step. And this is an anterofacial 1-7 hydride shift, <laughs> which is... Um, I want to draw it. Well, let's see if I can show you. I should have.
1: I'd have to be looking yeah. at it and
0: staring at it for
1: a while to get my head around the, the three dimensionality oh, of yeah. the thing. But I do love those. I, when I, I first time I ever taught advanced organic and we were going through those, those pericyclic reactions, I had to make flip books <laughs> of the orbitals <laughs> so we could Ooh. try to imagine.
0: <laughs> wow. Cool. I I'd love to see your flip books. Um, so this, this shift, this is a hydrogen hydride, which is hydrogen atom um, moving from one place to another. And it's a thermal reaction that takes about one day in your skin, 1.2 days is the estimate it takes 12 days in organic solvents. There's something going on in our skin that is helpful somehow, but it isn't an enzyme. It's a just a, has to just sit there after it's been exposed to the UV light and then it undergoes a thermal rearrangement to the final vitamin D structure. Okay. So in the U, in the U S we don't get a lot of UVB Um, at the equator. So, oh, there's a podcast that, that Jamie actually turned me on to called um, TWIV, which is this week in virology. Um, They're kind of what inspired me to get this started. Um, And Daniel Griffith. Yep. And, if viruses aren't your thing, then
1: they've got this week in parasitology and this week in microbiology and this week in evolution and immune. So yeah, go check that one out.
0: The U S has 1.15 to 1.73 Watts per meter squared of UVB. Canada has zero to 0.58 Canada and Alaska. So you can't get much at all in Canada. And that's, you know, it's dependent on your latitude. And the reason for that is the sun comes in at an angle um, above the Tropic of Capricorn and below the Tropic of Cancer or whatever. And so you get uh, a lot more absorption of that UVB by more ozone as it goes through the atmosphere. Now, it may be that, you know, they. So it's best at the equator. It's best at the equator. And then it gets
1: per, progressively worse because all the, the further you are from the equator, the more sort of diagonal layers of atmosphere the light has
0: passed through. Right. And it's sort it's of thicker. Been it, it runs into more ozone molecules. It, yeah. it comes in at an angle. So... Um, interestingly glass blocks UVB and so you can't get it behind a window so sitting in your warm house in the winter and having the sun pouring in you're getting heat but you're not getting any UVB okay sunscreen SPF 15 blocks 98% of UVB radiation so you're not getting enough if you're wearing if you're being really, really diligent about your sunscreen, if you get five to 30 minutes of sunshine on your face, arms and legs, and you have light skin, and you do that at least two times a week. And I assume that's at the equator. um, You know, that is enough. Okay. Face arms face arms, legs, and light skin for half an hour, twice a week is enough. Um, but if you have low sunlight, it's not enough. Okay. Mm -hmm. Apparently getting an overdose from the sun is impossible because there's an Jimmy Buffett could tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's done that experiment. Um, So there's an equilibrium between the degradation of vitamin D and the synthesis of vitamin D in your skin. So once it reaches that equilibrium, you're not getting any more. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So you build up to that equilibrium level. And basically, skin can produce up to 10,000 IU per day with UV light. and That's like how much skin? I don't know. That's just a factoid that I that doesn't have enough information for me to <laughs> explain it any further. Right. Um. You can get enough from fatty fish. You can get 450 to 1400 IU per 100 grams, but you got to eat fish every day. And the problem with that is that there's quite a bit of mercury in fish from coal burning fire power plants so mm-hmm. um, it's dangerous to eat that much fish so vitamin d is one that we think most people aren't getting enough of You're not getting enough of it through your diet not getting enough of it from exposure to the sun um, and it's kind of a two-step process where you have to eat something fatty. You have to get some. So, would people
1: who are um, on low-cholesterol restricted diets would would they be recommended to take vitamin
0: D supplements? Probably. I I don't know if we can. Well, we we're able to synthesize our own cholesterol, right? So. I think you just need to get fat in your diet. And if you eat enough sugar, the sugar turns into fat. So one way or another, probably, you know, they're not going to be, there isn't an issue with a low cholesterol diet, but a low fat, Mm -hmm. low cholesterol diet has, Problems of its own. And it may be that you just, I don't know. There is some thought, though, that um, people are not getting enough vitamin D, not only because we're not exposed to the sun, we're not getting outdoors enough and exposing our skin enough, um, but also because of the obesity epidemic. And I th- I'm am I was trying to wrap my head around this. How that? Yeah, because it's like they'd have plenty of fat, right? But I think the vitamin D gets um, sort of tied up in the fat cells and doesn't do its job. It it dissolves in the fat cells and and then you're not. I don't know. I mean, that's that's. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find the answer to my question about that. Um, But it was, Mm -hmm. it was presented as a hypothesis that that may be why people have, that there seems to be a um, deficiency generally in the population and it may be related to obesity, but they didn't explain that. (laughs) So I don't really know. So once you have vitamin D, that's still not the active guy. Okay. That only has one o h group or um, alcohol functional group and that's called cholecalciferol and then in your liver there's an enzyme called vitamin d 25 hydroxylase that puts another alcohol group on this time at the end of the uh, the other end of the molecule at the at the uh Uh, isopropyl group okay so Mm -hmm. and that's a that liver enzyme is a cytochrome p it's called cytochrome p2r1 vitamin and it's also called vitamin d 25 hydroxylase so that makes that liver enzyme makes calcifidiol so two alls that's two alcohols Okay, and then your kidneys take it and put a third alcohol on there called calcitriol. And the kidney enzyme is a cytochrome P27B1. (laughs) So it's another enzyme that adds the other the second OH group. Now, calcitriol is much less fat soluble and much more water soluble. So it has a half-life in the body of only about 15 hours. So once you get to the Mm -hmm. triol, it's pretty easy for you to excrete it, but that's the active form, that triol. And the diol is in between the fat soluble and the water soluble form. um, And it has a 15 day half-life. And there, there was at least one study um, in a nursing home where the nursing home patients got a large supplements of vitamin D3 for, uh, I think, a year. And their serum um, vitamin D levels went way up to 127 nanograms, nanograms per milliliter. And that's, that's over the, that's, that's almost an overdose um, the the normal range that you want your serum to have is 30 to hundred nanograms per milliliter but then when they watched those nursing home patients a, a year later after the end of the study it had come it had only come down to like half that much and another year later it was, half that much so seems like about a year-long half-life for vitamin d and so which which form was it that they were getting cholecalciferol vitamin d3 the the
1: the monohydroxylated one
0: and so the 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 trihydroxylated
1: one had a half-life of one day and the dihydroxylated one had a half-life of
0: 15 days the triol is yeah 15 hours a half a day half-life of a half, half a day. day. Um, uh-huh. and the dial is 15 days and the mono all uh, is a year. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, these are all rough numbers because they depend on how much you're taking in and, you know, the, the nursing home patients weren't, oh, that's another thing. Apparently old skin, um, doesn't synthesize vitamin D as well as young skin. So, so, I don't know. I don't quite know why the old skin. I don't know if we we just don't have enough. But anyway, it's the calcitriol that goes into circulation and the target organs are the intestines, kidney, and bones. And it's the most potent ligand of the vitamin D receptor. And it facilitates the mineralization I think it has to do with this vitamin D receptor activating and, you know, binding to cells and activating enzymes that, that do affect calcium metabolism and, and also like, um, uh, calcium transport. So the, the pores through your cell wall, cell, membranes
1: in the intestines it increases the transport
0: Uh uh-huh yeah so that's the part about bones and the the important thing about bones and it's also important for inflammatory bowel diseases because of the intestines and kidney disease so it's it's important in all those um, target organs Mm -hmm. but calcitriol is also a cytokine which has People have learned this from if you've been following um, the COVID nineteen pandemic, the science science. Then um, you'll have heard the word cytokine, and a cytokine stimulates the innate immune system, and the innate immune system is sort of like generally foreign objects, foreign things like bacteria and viruses let's get them out of here you know the innate immune system's not specific the way the you know b cells and t cells are very specific those are the what do you call that immune system adaptive immune the adaptive immune the adaptive system. arm of the immune system right as a cytokine it stimulates the innate immune system. The cells produce large numbers of antimicrobial peptides. So that's pretty cool. Um, but then it said that calcitriol also inhibits the proliferation of activated T cells. I didn't understand how that's good for your immune system. Mm-hmm and it inhibits interferon gamma synthesis by T cells. I think not all cytokines are pro-inflammatory. So maybe it's non-inflammatory. But are are T cells bad? I mean, activating T cells is good. I mean, they're just going to
1: go in there and chomp stuff up, but I think they are going to you know, but also, they're more
0: specific because they could go specifically. There are T-cells that are specific for SARS-CoV-2, the virus, right? I
1: don't... I'm uh, getting into immunology, that I don't think I really know. But I my understanding is that the T-cells... Uh, what's specific on T-cells? Okay, now I'm getting into we can just explain back and forth to each other and edit it out what we think we know about the <laughs> immune system and uh, maybe check that. But my understanding about T-cells is that what is specific on their surface is uh, recognizing self, non-self uh, pieces of translated protein that so, are presented on the surface of cells using the, anti- uh, I mean, using the MLA, major histocompatibility the MHC. complexes. Yeah. Right. And so if, and so like maybe the T cell docks with that cell and checks it out, yep, that's you know, self. that's a fragment of a fingerprint of myself and then you know, whatever. But once it, when it doesn't see self, then it's like you know, halt, we are going to board your vessel and you know
0: hmm. destroy this cell. But B cells, I mean, they, they talk a lot, well I don't B-cells know. are the ones that may, I, I, one thing I know
1: that B-cells do, yes, B-cells make antibodies, B-cells are manufacturing sites for antibodies, and it's just like we make hats, right, we make, we make these ball caps, and that is what we make, you know,
0: very specific,
1: fit to your spike pro- protein, right, custom fit,
0: so sort of to summarize, calcitriol decreases, bone resorption, it improves mineralization with calcium phosphate, and it prevents rickets, um, which is osteoporosis, which happens if you have less than 10 nanograms per milliliter. So rickets is really serious deficiency of vitamin D. But you can overdose on vitamin D, and that's in the range of 150 to 12, 20 nanograms per milliliter. And you can, that's the highest amount they've ever measured. But also what they find is an associated increase in the amount of calcium in your body, like 11 to 23 milligrams per deciliter. I don't know why they use, they use the craziest units. ha, For a cup of tea. Um, But anyway, calcium goes up too much when you overdose with vitamin D. And that's called hypercalcemia. And it causes, it's associated with hyperparathyroidism. And the symptoms are vomiting, dehydration, pain, and it can be muscle pain, bone pain, loss of appetite, muscle weakness, hypertension, neuropsychiatric disturbances, polyuria, which means you have to pee all the time, and polydipsia, which means you're extremely thirsty all the time.
1: So this goes back to the idea that calcium is one of the, what, four cations that are just in a delicate balance. That's yeah, that's, that's my broad brush understanding is calcium, sodium, potassium, magnesium, there's a balance they can when it gets disrupted then you know because they are implicated in so many cell membrane receptors uh working that that it can throw a lot off right
0: so what happens is the calcium deposits in your muscles and it can cause cardiac problems too because it can get deposited in your heart muscles and heart valves and Um, It it can be really dangerous if you have too much of it. So it's really bad if you have too little and it's really bad if you have way too much. But there's a pretty broad range in which it's safe. Now, I wanted to go into the dosage um, because the Institute of Medicine, which is kind of where those recommended daily allowance comes from is the Institute of Medicine in the U.S., and they recommend 600 international units IU per day for children and 800 for d- adults. And then the U.S. Endocrine Society looked into it from their point of view. Now endocrines are, are hormones and vitamin D is considered a hormone. Um, it's a, a hormone is a chemical messenger. Mm-hmm. When the Endocrine Society looked into it, they said you should have kids should have more like 600 to 1000 IU per day, and adults should have 1500 to 2000 IU per day. And anyone with inflammatory bowel disease should have two to three times more than the normal adult because they are because just not
1: efficiently absorbing
0: calcium. Exactly, because the because everything's intestine inflamed, intestine is inflamed and, and it's not absorbing nutrients properly. And this goes for all kinds of nutrients. So we could say that if it's inflamed uh it
1: it it, it kind of puffs up the uh the wrinkles well, in the no, no,
0: not necessarily. No, not I'm trying to get a mental picture of how. Well, and actually what's weird is it turns out you can be completely asymptomatic and not have active Crohn's disease, say, and you're still having trouble adsorption with absorption. Um what what I understand about IBD is that when it gets inflamed it actually causes the surface of the intestine to lose all of its um, wrinkles and it sloughs off all those cells and it gets really smooth and it like scarred kind of well it no it's just loses the the cell structure that absorbs nutrients and that actually causes um, bleeding and uh, really nasty things called fistulas which means that you get holes in your intestine and that can cause uh, (laughs) really scary things um, because then you get bacteria in your abdomen and the bacteria are supposed to stay on you can die from that yes you can die from that that that's pretty pretty fast too apparently Um, that's what happens when you get a burst appendix
1: my aunt was in the was in the hospital was in uh, intensive care for two or no it was more like it was more than three weeks for that she's got Crohn's disease and when uh I think it was when when her son was born she ended up
0: in the hospital for a long time with that yeah so um So Daniel Griffin um, on TWIV, Vincent asked him how much vitamin D he was taking. And I was sort of bowled over because he said he was getting 50,000 IU once a week. And now I know where that came from. So when you have a deficiency, um, they'll treat you with 50,000 IU once a week for eight weeks or six thousand IU a day for eight weeks, until your serum vitamin D gets up above thirty nanograms per milliliter, and then to maintain your levels, you should be taking fifteen hundred to two thousand IU per day. And all of this is from the U.S. Endocrine Society. So, I I suspect Daniel Griffin was had discovered had gotten tested and discovered that he was low Mm -hmm. and was getting, getting boosted for his deficiency. Um, He needs to be protected because he's a, an ICU doctor and he's doing incredibly good work. And so I'm, I'm really glad that he's getting enough vitamin D. Um, So the way people get too much mostly is it's, since you can't get too much through your skin and you can't get too much through your diet i mean you have to eat too much fish <laughs> a lot of fish it's mainly from mislabeled fish oil or vitamin d supplements that say it doesn't you know have have much vitamin d in it or sometimes the labels in in this study were like Tenfold off,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they had t- you know ten to hundred times as much vitamin D in their ta- capsules as that it said on the label, and only occasionally was it misprescribed by the physician, where they f- the physician told them to take too much, and they were just following doctor's orders and they took too much, so. It's, you know, you want to go with a reputable national chain that checks their, you know, vitamin D mm-hmm. and measures the amount that they put in and doesn't, doesn't screw up their labeling. Um, so
1: the way somebody might go about this is if they uh, have a yearly physical coming up at some point, they could see how much would it be a copay or you know like does it, is it covered under yeah. insurance or what's it going to be for them
0: to get a uh, it's pretty know. expensive and the insurance companies don't well they didn't used to unless you were at risk like if you have IBD or um, osteoporosis then they'll pay for it annually but apparently it's pretty expensive well, I wonder why. Well, I mean, it's, it's circulating, so it would be in the blood, right? Yeah, and uh, it would be they the way they do it. Um, I read this but HPLC I'm, mass spec or something, or? yeah, but the the standards aren't really well established for that, and um, it's probably hard to
1: wonder if it's hard to distinguish between. Well, they the have way. to well. They seem like they would have very different solubilities, though, given those half-lives.
0: Right. So they can separate them, but then they have to quantitate the three different forms. Um, And the quantitation apparently is tough because you have to first um, extract the fat-soluble components of blood into an organic solvent. And then right. it's a multi-step process. It's not just you know, stick it in a machine. Um, And the machine has to be calibrated. And so, I don't know. It's just not, it's not the easiest test in the world. Oh, yeah. And and Daniel Griffin said, you can get enough vitamin D from the sun if you're 18 years old, you live at the equator, and you're naked for 15 minutes a day. (laughs) So not the case for most of us oh and you have to be light-skinned as well um, right apparently it's harder to get vitamin d if you have a lot of melanin is that melanin yeah your skin it gives you colors yes colored skin
1: reflective skin
0: more of uh, uh, more of a
1: barrier of not reflective. it's well, absorbent trapping yes Absorbent skin. Up those ones.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's all I had about vitamin D. Did you have any that's other thoughts? Um. So what we covered today, I'll just kind of summarize was the difference between fat soluble and water soluble vitamins and a little bit about, you know, how you get them in your diet. And then we did a deep dive into vitamin D and rickets and how that affects your system. Um, mostly it's involved in calcium getting into your bones. You can make vitamin D if you have enough fat in your diet. And, um, well, I I guess it doesn't have to be only fat in your diet. It can also be Your glucose turning into fat because you can do our bodies are capable of synthesizing fat from sugars and carbohydrates. Um, it's a two-step process. The first stop first biochemical step is UVB light catalyzed, and the second step is thermal. It's heat catalyzed. Um so first you need to go to the beach and then jump in the
1: pool and then go to the sauna. (laughs) Sounds like a plan to me. (laughs) If you don't have time to take the supplement, you know.
0: Uh, Well, I usually don't take supplements during the summer, but I didn't get out much this summer um, on the water canoeing. So I was still taking it. And then I got this lower leg pain and I was worried I was taking too much. And so I knocked off for a couple of weeks. But now I'm I feel like I ought to supplement again because I'm not getting enough sun for sure now. Even if I go for a walk in the middle of the day, I'm bundled up. I'm The only thing uncovered is my face and hands, and that's just not enough. And then as it gets colder in the winter. So supplements, probably safe with major brands up to 2,000 IU a day if you're a normal adult. And children shouldn't get that much, shouldn't supplement high levels in children. They should get, you know, 600 IU a day, it sounds like. And they, you know, there is vitamin D in in milk. Oh, that's the cool thing. I forgot to talk about how they make it for the supplements. They make it the same way your body does. They actually will take milk, which has the pre cholesterol in it right. and irradiate it uh, and it makes vitamin D in the milk and you can take mushrooms and irradiate them and you can make more vitamin D in your mushrooms and the fish that swim at the equator, get more vitamin D than the ones in, in the North sea. <laughs> uh-huh. And possibly surface fish,
1: Upper yeah. level fish are higher in vitamin D than right those
0: those deep dire ones. Huh. Right, so um, that that's pretty interesting. Actually, there was a guy who won the Nobel Prize in nineteen well in nineteen twenty five. Adolf Windaus Windaus discovered the U V B catalyzed reaction to make vitamin D pre-vitamin d3 and he won the nobel prize later for that discovery Mm. so it's been known for a long time now i want to go look up you know chemistry of
1: calcium and neurotransmission (laughs) and uh and uh and and also calcium uptake in intestines you know i
0: I mean i can sort of imagine how it would I, I don't know there's there's more to it the vitamin D3 binds to the vitamin D3 receptor
1: but there's more to it
0: and then it presents it somehow to other proteins that then help your calcium get in and out of cells and get into your bones and other things but that that's that's the shallow depth of my knowledge about that <laughs>
1: That's for another day. Okay.
0: And that's plenty of time to have talked about one vitamin. (laughs) Now I'd like to read to you a haiku from Elemental Haiku by Mary Soon Lee. Calcium, the horse's gallop, the eagle's swiftness, both framed by your quiet strength. Calcium is a key component of the bones of vertebrates from hamsters to humans. Hydroxyapatite, um, calcium five hydroxide phosphate three, a calcium compound gives bones impressive strength. Think about it, just don't overthink it. Think about everything, don't overthink anything. Okay, so this is Twist and we're going to be signing off.